now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning layer ones to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Before we jump in, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. Kava is a cross-chain DeFi platform that gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications in one safe and seamless integration. We're excited for the upcoming launch of the Swap Protocol a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Swap will join the Kava protocol and Hard protocol as the next application built on the Kava platform. Celo is a mobile-first platform that makes financial dApps and crypto payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone, providing the opportunity to positively impact the users of 6 billion smartphones in circulation today. Celo's eco-friendly proof-of-stake consensus mechanism an ultra-mobile light client makes up to 17,000 times faster than other blockchains and accessible to mobile phone users around the world. Visit Celo.org to learn more. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to continue our NFT coverage. We've had on most of the top leaders in space. Now we have one more. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Alex, who is the co-founder and chief product officer at Rarible. Alex, how's it going? Hey, Tom, thank you for having me here today. I'm excited. Yeah, no, likewise. Um, Rarible is a cornerstone in the space, so I'd love to learn more. But first, Alex, tell us a bit uh, about yourself and how you got started in crypto. It's actually a really interesting story. So uh, I probably told it a thousand times already, but obviously I want to tell it once again. To me, it, it feels like I always was in crypto because that was literally the first area that I started working in. I, I launched my first project in, into crypto that was uh, fiat on-ramp and off-ramp to the space, uh, just locally in my own country. And s- since then, I never left the space, basically. Uh, I, I've gotten to the space in, 12 t- in, in 2012, uh, pretty early. Back then, you couldn't do much except for like buy and sell Bitcoin. That's why we were, we were doing trading. Um, yeah, so Fiat on Ramp it was amazing. Then we moved on to build uh, the exchange, the centralized exchange with order book, short sales, leverages, all sorts of financial crazy voodoo uh, stuff. Yeah, really loved the experience. We spent a lot of time building that. By, by the time we rolled this out on the market, everyone was far ahead of us. Uh, but the experience was incredible. We assembled a great team during working on that one. And uh, I said that once again, but it, it's really funny that I actually earned all my money already in crypto. So like a first-class citizen, uh, I, I was I was broken poor and... Uh, 
basically the, the blockchain is is my whole economy that they have for me. That's awesome. You're you're fully crypto native at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love it. That, that's I live, incredible. I live the life of digital nomad these days, uh, about for 1.5 years. And I think I really love the spirit of being free, your money like travel with you whenever, wherever you, you are, nobody can stop you. you. You're really free in terms of the physical world. You, you almost don't have any physical things to own. Uh, you, you have only like a, a suit with you. And, and, and the whole thing and the whole bunch of things that you own are all digital. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm not fully crypto yet. I still have my bank account, but I'm getting there. But Alex, I mean, switching to Rarible, I mean, you guys have two things going on. You have a storefront, but you also have the protocol. Let's talk a bit about the storefront. Like when people come to Rarible.com to buy NFTs to sell, like what is the differentiating factor versus, you know, super rare versus open C? Like what's the difference in experience that people get on Rarible? Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. So uh, first of all, when we launched Rarible, uh, our motto was like, we are crypto native people and we want to give everyone the ability to participate in this market. Because back then, uh, there was no issuance platforms that were gateless. Uh, every every issuance platform like SuperRare or Makerspace, they, they, some of them are still invite only. And, and that was the market condition back then. So literally, if you're just an open creator, uh, you want to mint your first NFT, there was nowhere to go. And we launched Rarible for, for everybody. And, and that was a really important differentiator in terms of that, oh, the world should be permissionless if you want, if you want everyone to, to put some, some effort into doing, doing something. And since then, uh, the second big factor, the second big factor that we uh, that we worked on was that we wanted it to be easy, sleek, and fun. So uh, our our head of design is from um, Russian big tech company Yandex. He launched uh, he launched products for tens of millions of people. And he's UI guru, and that that's our product culture. Actually, we really every every time we're discussing like where to put that button. Imagine that I have never seen the crypto website before. I don't know what the wallet is. I don't know what what I should click, but I know what sign-in, for example, means. And, and intuitively, I'm looking on the website, some things that I already know. And we try to uh, digest the difficult crypto-native experiences into the same uh, knowledge that user already has to make it accessible, to make it intuitive. And that's why a lot of newcomers lo- loved Rarible and, and still love, but they are not newcomers anymore. Since we launched the governance token, they created Uniswap pools and started doing governance. The, the learning curve was just crazy. No, I'm with you. And it seems like, like if I pull up the site and I've never been to Rarible.com before, it seems like you guys have, like everything here is animated. Like I know we're on an audio podcast for those that aren't watching the video, but everything's you know, animated, everything's moving, you know, you have flashing lights on the auction times left. It seems like it's a very different feel than what you get from other marketplaces. So I I feel like you have a niche there. I'm not totally sure if that was the goal or that's kind of what was just figured out over time though. What what are your thoughts there? 
That's exactly the goal. Basically, we are optimizing for look and feel and fun. Uh, at some point, uh, there was like a hard, mm, the hard engineering problem um, because it, it's actually costs quite a lot of resources to uh, support all these animated things. And uh, at some point, we were making this tough decision. Okay, let's let's make the things not animated, and and the website became completely boring. So it's actually like really built into experience. Uh, you can animate your avatar. You can animate your cover uh, on, on your profile picture. Obviously, every NFT, like half of the NFTs are animated. So it's really suited for this new new generation of visual-based people who, who love to see operate in a fast-moving environment like Twitter. You have constantly news all over you. It's the culture that that is really growing these days. And is, is Rarible.com totally focused on Ethereum or do you unlock or allow people to trade NFTs on other chains like say Solana and Tezos and others? Right now we're we're wholly focused on Ethereum and right now while we talk behind the scenes there is hard work is going on to enable Flow blockchain and then Polygon blockchain and then other blockchains as well. So the, the future is definitely multi-chain and that's another like super difficult question of how do we make the person who came the first time to the website understand what's going on. Okay, I came here and there is like flow, polygon, Ethereum. I need to choose something. There are gas prices that are insane. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's it's making your job more complicated, but I guess it's unlocking new new communities, which is good. Exactly. And Alex, I mean, switching over to the Rarible protocol, like you have your marketplace, which is rarible.com. People could come, they could interact, they could buy and sell NFTs through the experience you guys offer. But I think one of the more interesting things is, is the Rarible protocol itself. So you guys allow people to create their own NFT experiences using um, an open protocol, which is unlike other, uh, I mean, it's not like other marketplaces because it's a protocol. What, what exactly is the sell? And if you could describe a bit about the protocol, it'd be really helpful. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I'd like to, to take a step back here. And uh, so, a variable com uh, about a year ago in July, we launched the governance token uh, to decentralize the the variable experience. And since then, over a year, we actually learned a lot. And one of the uh, one of the unexpected things to learn was that it's really hard to participate in governance, especially for newcomers, for creators. Uh, it's almost like these two different mindsets. One of them is, yes, I want an open protocol. I want to have everything open source. I want to have maybe unperfect front end, but I want to know that this is permissionless. This runs on IPFS. I know that like uh, this team can do nothing to stop me from doing anything. So uh, two different mentalities with having the really strong UI UX. That's why... Um, Basically, we created, uh, we, we thought it through and created this uh, this unique combination, not exactly unique, uh, but the combination of a protocol and apps that are running on top of that, the front ends. So the protocol is essentially the whole thing that is running Variable.com Marketplace, the backbone behind Variable.com Marketplace. We separated that into the separate product and made it available for everyone. 
So uh, it's an open source set of smart contracts, the minting issuance smart contracts, exchange smart contract, uh, royalties smart contract, the, the external registry that you can put your royalties in and share across the whole blockchain. Um, and uh, the very important piece on top is the indexing solution. The, the indexer, the backend that uh, listens to what happens in the blockchain and, and records uh, every data about NFT. For example, like I want to know which NFTs belong to the wallet, uh, to the specific wallet, or which NFTs uh, in a specific collection be, belong to a specific wallet. I want to know the provenance of this NFT, like when it was born, when it was sold the first time, when it was sold the second time, uh, what happened after that. And you can't qu just query blockchain for that. You can't call a smart contract and ask, like, what is the history of that NFT? So you need an indexing tool. And we have the first on the market indexing that is open source and completely open. Right now, there is no, like if you're building a wallet or a website, uh, NFT experience, you need an indexer. There, there is no an open tool for that. Um, there is a DAO on top to govern that. So basically the whole stack that you expect to see in the protocol, open source, governed by the by the DAO permissionless and open. And this is the foundational infrastructure for the NFT world. Basically, every NFT project that is being built that wants to uh, trade NFTs, they, they need and they need this this toolkit. We've built this over two years in variable and then spent six months to separate from the main project. So it's it's a lot it's a lot to have. No, no. Offering your full stack to the community is is super interesting. I have a lot of questions here. When when you look at someone like an OpenSea, what what products or features that they offer is say fully on chain for people to like copy and use? Like I'm assuming part of their stack is on chain for people to view. But from what you're describing, people could plug and play with your contracts to basically build their own, I guess, marketplaces or basically offer say your minting services within a game or something like that. Like I guess what for those new to the space, like what does Rarible offer that like the other marketplaces don't exactly have on chain or to use? And I know you mentioned a few, but it would be nice to compare it to like OpenSea or, or somebody that uh, people know well as well. Yeah. So mm, there are several there are several marketplaces, and uh, that more or less all of them are set up the same the same uh, the same way. So you have an on chain smart contract which handles execution of trades. What that means is that uh, there, is, there is an order that I want to sell an NFT, there is an order that I want to buy an NFT. All this is stored off-chain, and on-chain is basically the small, really small permissionless thing that makes a swap, just, just changes. Like, I have, I have money, you have NFTs, let's, let's exchange that. It doesn't handle like auction. Uh, it's it's all handled like separately. The only on-chain things it makes sure that me as the marketplace, me as the platform, I cannot touch your funds. The funds are swapped directly on chain. Everything else happens off-chain. Uh, this is the way most of the marketplace work. Uh, there is a couple solutions like okay, let's have a smart contract that would have an on-chain order book as well. So it stores order on-chain as well. And, and, and there are on-chain auction auctions too. 
So for some, some marketplaces use uh, on-chain auction system. When I place a bid, there is the full logic that the next bid should release the previous bid. Uh, and then the winner takes the NFT. It also is usually on-chain. Except for that, usually nothing else is on-chain. Well, I, I don't know a project that, that has more on-chain. Um, indexer cannot be put on-chain in the Ethereum world. So people use either the graph to index all the data, or they use, uh, or they use basically self self service solutions or closed APIs by by some other people, and uh, sometimes it's put it puts businesses at, at at a great dependency. I'd say. So playing devil's advocate, I mean, what are the benefits of having everything on chain for a marketplace and a protocol? Like, what what do you benefit from that? You know, say a centralized provider of a marketplace um, fails at. And I guess I guess there's some benefits for centralized, right? Like you can make decisions fast, you can um, maybe do an order book in a very fast way and in a very cheap way. But what are the specific benefits of having all of this on chain? Yep. Uh, just just to confirm it, a variable protocol also uses order book off chain, but it 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 is stored in this protocol which which is open. It's it's still off chain, but you can have your own you have your own version of that. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And answering your question, we're actually moving to this more on chain. We're bring, bringing order book on chain too because it actually misses one really critical thing. So uh, I would explain that in an example of DeFi. Let's say uh, in the DeFi, you can build a urn which can uh, farm some money on another contract, then go to Uniswap, exchange that, and then pull that funds, and then like use a flash loan to do that several times in a row to extract value. Uh, all of that is done on chain in, in one contract that calls other contracts. And, and this is the key component that is missing if you have anything off chain, because if you have at least something off chain, that means that other contracts can't con- can't call your own contract. It's it's really like basically breaks this nice. leg Lego experience apart. Uh, that's why like PartyBit, PartyBit is uh, an on-chain tool that allows you to crowdfund money to make one single bid on 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 an item and then basically spun up a DAO that owns this item. If you want an auction. That is only possible with the with the projects that have on-chain auctions. That's just one example. No, no, that that's that's a great example. Now it, it's clear that it should be on chain. And also you just get a level of transparency for the community, right? Like everyone knows what's going on, right? There's no front running, there's no messing around. Exactly. Uh, well, transparency for the community uh, is really important. Um, but I think what's mostly important is the guarantees for developers that this API won't become paid at, at one point, that uh, there won't be rate limiting enabled at some point, that, that you will always, if anything happens, you can, you can spawn up your own, your own service. So that's a really important really, point. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's like Facebook, like boxing out builders or developers or something like that and just you know, casting their wand. There is an interesting story about that, actually. Uh, one of my friends and previous colleague they run a, a flash website on top of the Facebook in, in, the, in the times when that was popular. And, and they got pushed out by Facebook out of the platform, basically prohib- 
Facebook banned them, prohibited the whole segment. And they they said, oh, yeah, well, we'll have to build our own website. So they did. They went and built their own website. And it became like massively successful, like a hundred <laughs> times more users than, than they had on, on the app. And they were like, oh, oh that, that was the right decision. Thank you, Facebook. Oh, man. At first, I'm sure they were kind of uh, distraught, though, to like lose their business. And then, bam, they, they grow up and they get something way bigger. Exactly. That, that's the idea. The developers are at the core of this revolution. We, we, want to, we want to do everything for them. Alex, what would be an example of like, you know, messing with the developers on a closed API? Would this be like, you know, if a marketplace built on you guys or if a game built on you guys used your minting contract and you guys ended up changing that in some respect or charging a fee? Like, what, like, what exactly is permissionless that you can't change for these guys that other people can't? And I think it's incredible that developers have this clear line of sight that they won't be messed with. But I'm just trying to get a sense of what exactly that means for them. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, everything that is already on chain that we discussed, it's minting contract, it's exchange contract, it's royalty contract. They have governance. So there are some tweakable things like fees, or we can sub, set up a royalties for somebody else who is not an owner of its own contract for some reason. So there is some, some level of governance. And the, the big idea for that is, okay, we know what to do with that. We put that into the DAO and DAO needs to vote to change that. That puts some level of, of, sure, of, uh, of surety, yes, to, to the developer that uses the contract. That, that's fine. So now... Uh, everything that works on top, the indexing part. The indexing part is actually, I know, like 99% of the code that we have in the protocol. Uh, it's really huge. We need to track the blockchain. We need to understand that this block happens after the next block. There is some orphan block. We need to discard those transactions. Uh, the NFT was created, and you need to do that in a scalable manner. Uh, you need to sometimes to go back in time and to re-index something. It's a really complex product. And, and this one is uh, essential. Like if your user comes to the website or in the wallet and they ask like, which NFTs does my wallet own? You need to, you need to go to the indexer and you need to find an answer to, to that. Uh, and, and then they say, okay, now I want to sell this one out of 10 that I own. So basically this whole interaction, this whole marketplace experience, the whole... Uh, NFT experience of having a lot of NFTs in your wallet, it's all run by this indexing tool. And this indexing tool is what is uh, closed in every other realm right now on the market. So uh, if you want, if you, if you build, uh, for example, uh, like Trust Wallet uh, or Rainbow Wallet, they rely on, on centralized like uh, API. If this API closed, you don't have the ability to see your NFTs in your wallet anymore. So this would be the, the way to mess up with developers. Of course, the, probably the idea would be that it won't go away, but it will become to cost 10K or, or 20K at some point. So you, you need to pay. No, that's, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. I didn't know the indexer was that much of the code and that much of the cell here. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the indexer allows... It enables anyone to index NFTs, access the information, so like metadata, orders, activity, ranking, leaderboard, stuff like that. You guys are offering it for free to the developers to build on. That that makes a ton of sense. For Rarible, the protocol, what is the what is the benefit for? I guess maybe it's the token holders. Like, is there is there a cost using Indexer, or is it more so 
let's give this away so that people build on our protocol so that we can then therein drive fees later on. Yes, exactly. That, you're, you're totally get it. So indexing is for free. It's open source. It, it's, it doesn't cost anything to use it. But the idea is that the whole package is easy to use, uh, the whole package. So create NFTs inside variable contracts uh, and trade NFTs inside variable exchange. And I think the best part, overlooked part of that is that everybody who uses the protocol, they have an access to the shared order book. So once you created a sell order on your website, on your front end, it, it, it gets automatically on wearable, on every other apps that use the protocol. So basically all the projects together using the protocol, they create a network effect with each other. They support every new projects, add, add support for the other projects in the system. No, that's, this is where all the value originates. No, that's awesome. And wh why is it closed off on other like why why do other companies close off their indexer? I don't get it. Is it faster to run it not open source or not on chain or, or yeah, it might be confusing something there. Yeah, I think it's not that they deliberately do that. Deliberate move is to open that up because at first you build something up for you for yourself and you, you run it for yourself, right? And that's that's how it happens uh, organically. Just you don't do anything, and that's why it's closed. And, and then you need to make this uh, this extra effort to open things up, to to give it to the community. You open yourself at some competitive edge. Someone might build uh, just a competitor to you on on your open platform. We all seen the Uniswap battle, uh, but you open yourself up for for the basically greater costs of the trust to the whole ecosystem. And no, obviously, yet. Yeah. Now I'm with you. That's, that's awesome. I didn't know that was a big part of the cell. I mean, just going into other parts of your protocol that you offer developers, there's a lot that you offer. One of the interesting ones to me is just the royalty standard. So, I mean, allowing artists and creatives the ability to get ongoing royalties forever is is huge i mean for their longevity to pay their bills but also i guess they focus more on quality versus uh quantity how do you guys handle royalties is it built into the contract itself or does it just happen on the end marketplace where does that switch off happen yep uh long story short it's built directly into the marketplace directly into the contract uh, and there are several ways to build to build that in. The first one is when you issue your token, you can build in the information about its royalties directly in the token. So everybody would know that this token should have this this amount of royalties in it. And then other contracts, other exchange contracts, can decide whether they want to respect that or not. So their their reading contract, they know that they need to pay five percent. Then they either do that or or they don't. No, and then basically, wearable exchange contract is built in is built uh, that way to respect the known royalty standards. Uh, we went one step ahead of that, and we created the royalty registry contract. One more contract that any owner of any collection can go to that contract and say, "Okay, I didn't have royalties built in into my in my in, a, in my NFT." But I do want to receive them because I'm the owner of the project. I, I, I can go to other marketplaces and I can ask them directly, but they want to do that on chain. So they can go on chain and they can set up royalties for their own contract and do that only once. So as, as they do it once, they can't change it. So they can't say that it's 10, but to, tomorrow it's 50. So external, external contract accessible by everyone. 
So basically, other marketplaces can respect that tool. It's the single source of of uh, of truth for for all the uh, all the royalties that are set up in the place. No, that's that's incredible. It makes a lot of sense, especially that you have a standard that people kind of adhere to, and the royalties are passed on to the original creator. It makes a lot of sense. My other question for you is just on, I guess, the scaling aspect. I'm not sure where L2s kind of play into this. Like, um, yeah, where exactly does the L2 aspect happen within the protocol? Because I'm I'm getting a little confused on the protocol versus the end marketplaces people will create. I'm not sure where the L2s plugs in here. Yeah. So the marketplace, the end, the uh, front end, the mental model is exactly like Geniuswap, for example. You have a protocol that does this exchange. Indexer is the part of protocol. And then there is front end that just calls the APIs and, and supplies the relevant information to the user. So that, that implies that all the layer two happens on the protocol level as well. So right now, we just deployed on Polygon. I think in a matter of days, the news should, go, should, should break. Uh, so a protocol should be available on Polygon as uh the next uh, the next thing would be would be flow to be available on protocol too so and, and then on variable marketplace we, we basically built uh, all this all the cool things at first on the protocol and then adopted by the front end no that that makes sense so i guess in that regard like does the so you'd be on multiple l1s and multiple l2s is is that fair i'm wondering how that would work yes this is uh, this is how it looked like the the blockchains will work long term. We see this uh, like I don't know, a couple of years ago we had only Ethereum, and there, there was this notion that okay everything will be on Ethereum and and nowhere else probably. Uh, well, some some ideas was like that, and now we see multiple L2s and L1s gaining different amount of traction, but it's non-zero amount of traction. So basically some of them are really great. Uh, and for example, Solana, we've seen this uh, incredible, incredible rise. Uh, Polkadot is coming. Uh, and if, if you're probably the cutting edge that we see these days is the hop exchange and connect protocol, the things that allow you to move your items cross L2. This is where it gets really incredible. So I can move my item from Polygon to Phantom for free without touching the layer one uh, ever again. It's just, I don't know, it, it blows my mind when I think of what can happen to the blockchains when we will have massive interconnection of L2s and you can move things between L2s. And Ethereum is just the security level that really keeps all the things glued together in, in the long run. But everything is for free, abstracted away from the user. You don't even know which L2 you're working from. When you click buy, your funds are automatically transferred from one L2 to another and your asset is bought and might be transferred back to you. So the whole EVM world can be connected to each other and abstracted away from the user. I won't say like if you're working with Ethereum and Flow, you need two different wallets. But if you need only one wallet, this EVM, 0x, all the addresses that we got used to, it can be abstracted away from the user. No, that, that's super interesting. And I mean, on that point, what's your take on NFTs existing on different L2s? I guess, I guess my take is like, 
I think the large owners of the rarest NFTs are always going to want them to exist on each space chain. But was wondering your take there. It's kind of weird. Like you're also seeing artists like, you know, do art blocks drops or do drops on Ethereum, but then go to chains like Solana or others, Tezos, whatever, uh, or what have you, and, and also do drops there. So it's kind of a weird dichotomy, but I was wondering your take on security and if people will actually want to hold their NFTs on L2s. Yeah, well, for the Ethereum, I think this particular conversation is really well had by the DeFi community. They operate on millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in single transactions, and they care about security a lot. So NFT is, is far less dependent on security on that, on that end. That's why it's, uh, it's much easier for people to, to go to, to L2 and say, oh, okay, I'll be here. That's, that's all fine. And what they do then is, uh, like, the way I imagine it will work. So, for example, a new game launches on Polygon. There is thousands of cheap tokens, and then one of them becomes so rare and it starts to cost a million dollars. You move it over across the bridge to Ethereum, and you have it on Ethereum with, with the much more security. So, basically, this is like a tiered security payment, like, like a protection. Uh, I go to the insurance website and I can choose tier one, tier two, tier three. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's it's interesting. I think we're a ways out from people being comfortable. I mean, technically, we're a ways out from the implementation, but I think we're. I think it's going to take a while for people to get comfortable with keeping rare NFTs on L2. But on the flip side, given it's so cheap to mint there, there might just be a prol- proliferation of larger quantity of cheaper NFTs that are just released there. If that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I expect a lot of NFTs to be born on L2 and then move to Ethereum. Yeah. Once they get valuable, you move them back to (laughs) ESL1. And I'd love to just close out this conversation or or just this discussion point. We've been talking a lot about how developers can use the wearable protocol to launch their own experiences or in marketplaces. Can you give us a few other examples of projects using your protocol today and what they're doing with it? Yes. Uh, So... It's interesting, the most successful feature of the protocol to date is lazy minting, actually, that you can really spun up a new NFT experience when creators will be able to create their NFTs for free. So one of the one of the cool projects that are working on top of the protocol is Coco NFT. Uh, they make they allow you to connect your Instagram to your MetaMask and mint any of your Instagram posts as NFT. So that's a really like clean and a nice uh, nice uh, uh, project. Xerion uh, uh, guys use our API to query metadata, basically indexing solution for their NFT uh, extension of their portfolio tracking app. On Cyber is the gallery, 3D gallery that uses protocol to query NFTs and display that inside the 3D gallery. And I think the most technically complex project so far is uh, Minty.app. It's the project that allows you to spun up your DAO that can hold, buy, and sell NFTs, basically creator collectives and all things like that. And, and they made it in a clear way that uh, it can interact on chain with the wearable protocol. So basically, you can now have like creator fund that 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 creates some 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 items, sells it, and and then manages the funds or a collector fund, the DAO and NFT art index, all all set of DAO tools that you can imagine. Uh, 
able to hold, buy, and sell NFTs. That's awesome. There's clearly a lot of projects using your protocol already. On Cyber, super interesting. I had Von Miss on to talk about his collection on the NFT series, and uh, we were on his On Cyber Gallery. I hope I'm not confusing it. And we were looking around, and it was a really, it was a great experience. I mean, it was so loaded in two seconds or a second. You, you know, you can walk around, see all his art. It's awesome. What exactly is On Cyber using that Rarible provides? Yeah, uh, basically, the they want to build in the integration to be able to buy and sell directly from the gallery. So got it. you go okay. to the gallery, you see an item, you click buy it, and that's it. That's pretty cool. And like someone like on Cyber, do they have other options to do that with other providers? Like, is there anything public that they can use, or would they have to build it from the ground up? Well, I think again, they can technically use OpenSea API. Not sure how easy that is, but but you can do that. And and then yes, you, it's. Uh, the same argument about how open that is, but you, you can technically do that. Yes, and and Rarible protocol. Uh, another way would be, well, yeah, well, another way would be just to build it ground up, ground up. Well, I could see why they would want to use you guys. I mean, it's a it's a community owned API. It's probably easier to integrate, and then two, they don't have to build it from the ground up. It definitely makes sense. Yeah, I guess uh, I'm selling you guys now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's interesting to see um, who's using you guys and why. It, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it kind of sounds like the end protocols that might end up using you guys may be large holders of your token just to take part in the community at this point. Um, yeah, we run an app mining program. So if you generate some volume on the protocol, you actually receive the governance over that uh, over time. So that would be like especially important for us to have our users to to govern the platform. And of course, yes, there is a DAO with it and Discord, a ton of activity. Um, nice. A longer road ahead, though. It's it's not perfect yet. No, no, I, I totally get it. And we'd be remiss not to close out our conversation with the talk about the Rari token. I'd love to kind of dive into what exactly the Rari token does and um, I guess just this impact on your community. Because it sounds like when we opened up the conversation that you did bring on a, a new class of kind of uh, community holder that was interested in the token and kind of promoting the project. Yes, uh, that 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 was a massive success when we launched the variable the variable token a year ago. Basically, uh, we pioneered with the liquidity mining program for marketplaces. So uh, it, it's it's the cold start problem on the marketplace. You don't have you don't have supply. That's why demand don't come to you. You don't have a demand. That's why supply don't come to you. And the way to bootstrap the process to get the wheel going is to incentivize people to do that. And we launched the liquidity mining program. Uh, liquidity on the marketplace is amount of supply and demand. That's why we started rewarding suppliers and demanders with the rarity token. Uh, at some point, uh, the items were basically for free on the marketplace, so you could pick anything and get and get m- more tokens for it than than the actual purchase. And uh, with time, that that diminishes. But basically, community becomes the co-owners and get really attached to the project and get promoted. That it's really hard to decentralized over time when if you started as as the closed company uh, as, as we did. Mm, so uh, we have this ongoing process 
there is understanding that in four years we will distribute Rary token uh, so that community will have more than the team. And, and that's basically our process of decentralizing. Over time, we need to raise the generation of people who are willing to govern the protocol, who understand how exchanges work, how this fee policy should be set up. And we also want to take into the account all the people on, on variable marketplace that don't want to do that and create a delegation program for them so they can pick a representative uh, who will protect their needs on the protocol level. That, that's the long road that we have right now. And, and then we're like switching all these smart contracts to be governed by the DAO and might be the DAO, the DAO then introduces fees and makes the economy complete. Do you, I mean, it's a question for every project going through like progressive de- decentralization, but I'd love to get your take on it. Do you envision a date in the future when you can say core team is no longer, you know, guiding the ship, right? Like the community has taken over, like there's a clear cut. Like, do you think that will happen in reality? I, I feel like it's always the goal of projects, but I feel like it's very hard to achieve. It's very hard to achieve. If you build your governance system the right way, then technically once you have less uh, tokens than the community, then the community took over. And then the only question is like, how active is that community? If there are really the leaders in the community that can manage the large teams, that can uh, bring vision of the protocol to move forward, and basically can elect representative, can be on the board of the protocol, those are, to me, are kind of unanswered questions Uh, right now. There are some protocols that originated this way, that, that had this community from, from day zero, uh, like SushiSwap, for example. Their, their founder just, just said that it's stepping aside. he's stepping aside to be the advisor. And the activeness of the community would be the ultimate answer on the viability of the protocols. This is the most interesting question and exciting journey in the several three, five years in crypto. No, I, I like that. And I mean, on the Rory token, what are, what's the thing that you guys feel that you absolutely nailed with it? And I'd be interested to learn what you think you could have done better with the drop. And I don't have any you know, ideas myself on what you guys did right or wrong. So we'd love to kind of get your take on it. That's a really great way to put it. I think what we absolutely nailed was attempt to market. Yeah. Uh, Rarity token was might be among like, I don't know five first liquidity mining programs on Ethereum, and this is really important because after that we had two hundred projects doing doing the same thing. And what could we done better? Scale the team a little bit earlier on the DAO side, where we're actively doing that now and and recruiting more and more people in the community to do. But basically, in the in the autumn last year, there was a great momentum for the decentralization, and we were just overbooked with all things going on, concentrated on keeping the reliability of the app that we had, and 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 slip through some some really important discussions and conversations on the DAO side. And now we need to relaunch the DAO basically from from scratch to 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 get all those people back. Got it. And on the I guess on the liquidity mining side, you guys were weren't one of the first though, right? I mean, you got maybe one of the first for the NFT side or what would 
be the timing there? Uh, well, the era of liquidity mining programs really started in in early in May, early June when Compound did it. That was the first project that did it, and we ran July 13, basically in the month uh, from that. And between that was like probably five projects uh, that that were able to do that. Oh, got it. I didn't know your liquidity mining program went back as far, that far. Uh, I thought it was more recent. Makes sense. Yeah. Got it. That's interesting. And I mean, Alex, just to close out with some fun stuff, is there any specific creator on Rarible right now that you're pretty excited about? Any specific drop? Any Anything cool that you're looking at? I think our core community, uh, I'm absolutely in love with all the things that Lerona does. And Kid8 that recently launched his generative collection of devils, the really funny kids, Dust Monkey, really great job. Uh, and I, I think you can you, you can kind of hear the trend here. It, it's all avatars, uh, some some characters that are really funny and touching. And I think this is a really important movement in the NFT. Just just emotional attachment is a lot to have. What would you, Alex, to close out, what would you say to the bears or the critics that don't understand pure NFT art, per, you know, pure generative art? There's a lot of people that point to it and they say, oh, you know, I'm not a collector. I'm not an artist. How would I know? And, you know, they prefer things that have, you know, NFTs with utility that you can battle with. You can earn a yield on stuff like that. What would you say to people like that that don't totally understand kind of the, the art side of things? Uh, I would say that you are not on the right. So basically, <laughs> I, I know the world is moving toward people spend seven hours a day on their mobile phone, the younger generation. It's, it, they basically have more life in the digital space than, and, than in the physical. And all the digital things are inseparable. It's, they are even more real for them. And, and maybe for, for me too. That's why it doesn't matter if you have a digital thing on, or a real thing. And digital things, they, they should have utility too. And art has its own utility. You're either a collector or you want to just use it as an asset class. Art is known for to be an asset class in the real world. And uh, for the things that will have utility, it's just the next step actually in the NFT. This is where we're massively going the packs drop lots spoils when you used one item to make another out of it or mutate your ape or you know, or you know, use it in a game, have some guilt on it. This is the metaverse where we're going to. So art is just the first entry step into it because it was one of the first things to put on chain. It's the easiest thing to put on chain. But what we will see, completely actionable, really deep utility items. I love that. Alex, it's incredible having you on, man. For those that don't know Rarible, definitely recommend people check it out. You guys have a really interesting story, the understanding the protocol side and you know why developers would want to use the tools that you've open sourced versus building them from the ground up or using a competitor that's not community owned is super interesting and, and one of my favorites of the discussion. So Alex, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Tom. A lot of in interesting questions. I loved the discussion. And thank you for, for inviting me over. Always. Yeah, definitely do it again soon.
Before we go, we'd like to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. With a proven track record of delivering products safely, the Kava platform is DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure institutional-grade cross-chain engine. In addition to the protocols Kava and Hard, the Kava platform is launching Swap Protocol, a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Try for yourself or learn more today by visiting kava.io. Celo is an open platform for mobile-first DeFi with a vision of bringing decentralized financial tools and services to anyone with a mobile phone. Eco-friendly, Ethereum-compatible, and governed by Celo holders, Celo's proof-of-stake consensus mechanism and automatic daily carbon offsets make Celo the world's first carbon-negative blockchain, offsetting over 2,200 tons of carbon to date. To learn more about how to lend, earn, and stake with Celo's growing family of platform-native stablecoins, visit Celo.org today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.